caregivers probably have the toughest job out there, whether it's for an elderly parent, a spouse, a child. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. On this episode of Survivor Angels, you're going to hear from one woman who has the resiliency like none other, and you're going to hear how she keeps going. It's time for Survivor Angels, an approach to strengthen trauma survivors. Here, you can escape what draws negativity and engage your positive abilities and the gifts that you've always had. Let's activate your angels. And to help you on that journey, here's Chaplain Jody. On this episode of Survivor Angels, I have a very special guest, Teresa R.G. from Cleveland, Ohio. You might also know her as the Haunted Housewife. Welcome, Teresa. Hi, Jody. Thank you for asking me to be on your podcast. I'm very excited, very thrilled to be here. I am very excited and thrilled also. Now, people who probably heard that introduction are going, I wonder what they're going to talk about. Well, I think our topic is going to surprise them a little bit because you are the caregiver to your mom. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about how that looks for your life? So I am uh, I am very blessed to still be in the same area as my mother for the last probably 24 years. Um, I lived out of state a lot, you know, here and there, California, Florida, wherever. But um, I lived relatively close to my mom since uh, for the last almost quarter of a century. And when my mom got to the point in her age where we realized she couldn't live on her own, um, she came and moved in with us. It started after she had a surgery on her knee. She, this woman's incredible. So she worked until she was 78 and her job was a physical job. She was a manager at one of the public schools, Cleveland public schools. So her job as a manager was everything, loading and unloading trucks, ovens, cleaning, um, doing the freezer. It was a very physical job. And she was 78 when she retired. Now we pushed her to retire much earlier, but she didn't want to. She loved her job. It was a stupid job, didn't pay well, but she loved it. She's very content. Um, by the time she retired at her physical, um, her state had just declined rapidly. She was riddled with arthritis. Um, we finally realized that she needed surgery like 10 years before she actually had it, but she refused to get it because she didn't want to take the time off work. She probably had at least two full years of sick time saved up. She never took any time off except when my father died. And that was almost 20 years ago. She never took any time off ever. Um, so she didn't want to take any time off to have the surgery after she retired I noticed she was walking up the stairs in her two floor house by crawling and she could barely get dressed because she couldn't lift anything over her shoulders. So it took her a long time to do anything. And this is a woman who used to go to work at six, but she'd get up at five and take her dog for like a 45 minute walk before she went to work almost every day. She was in incredible shape, but the arthritis had really taken its toll. And I was there when, one weekend, because I would go over there every weekend and spend the weekend with her. 
And I said, mom, you got to get this done. You got to have the surgery. You got to do it. So we scheduled the knee and the doctor was like, well, it's a simple operation. A lot of people get it. We'll be in the hospital a day and we'll send her home and she can do her rehab at home. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. She was in the hospital for a week. She was in an incredible amount of pain um, and she never complains of pain. She ended up having to go to a nursing home for a rehab, you know, like a rehab facility, nursing home, same thing. And she was only supposed to be there a few days. She was there almost a month. At the third week, I pulled her out of there because I thought they were going to kill her. I mean, this, the the care she was giving getting there was awful. Uh, they weren't making sure she ate. They weren't bathing her. They wouldn't come when she called. She would be calling me on her cell phone because she had been ringing the buzzer for hours because she had to go to the bathroom and she couldn't get up out of bed. Um, I had a meeting with the people in the nursing home and they were trying to tell me that she ate. And I'm like, I can look at her. She's lost probably 15 pounds. She's not eating. I'm like, how do you know she's eating? Are you checking her food? And they're like, well, we ask her. I'm like, you know, but it was during this time that I realized that her mental state was really declining too. Uh, She had a bladder infection. And I said, mom, we got to call your doctor for a bladder infection. She was okay. Here, call my doctor. I'm looking up her numbers. I called her doctor and her doctor said, I haven't seen your mother in seven years. Wow. So I was like starting to put two and two together. Same thing with the dentist. Um, I was finding bills that weren't getting paid, things like that. And so I realized it's not just physical, like her mental memory and everything was really declining. So I pulled her out of the nursing home anyway, and we brought her home with us and she's been in my house ever since. It took me almost three years to convince her to sell her house. She did not want to do it. She would ask every day, when am I going home? When am I going home? When am I going home? Um, She had to have another operation on her shoulder, but um, she never went home. So she's been with me ever since. And I'm very blessed to have a husband who welcomed her with open arms and, uh, and children and my kids are, well, my son is 16. So he was only probably, you know, 10 at the time when she came. And my daughter is 22, but she was still in high school at the time. And they just accepted, oh, grandma's going to live with us now. They were used to seeing her all the time. We would go to the other side of Cleveland to visit. Now, she lived almost 40 miles from me, but I would go there every weekend and spend the weekend with her, with the kids. So my family's been great. And it really did change the dynamic of the family. I mean, my daughter, um, once she went... um, to college, it wasn't a big deal. She came back now, but you know, we had to take her into my daughter's room because it was easier for her to navigate. My daughter had to move down into the basement um, because my mom can't do the stairs. And you know, it was things like that, all these little adjustments, but my family welcomed it and uh, embraced the change and were great about it. So I'm very lucky because I tell you, if it was my husband's parents, I don't think I would be that gracious. <laughs> His dad's kind of mean, you know, but. You know, I guess you do what you do. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, and and we were talking, you know, before we hit the record button here on this podcast, and I said, you're a saint to do this, to which you replied. No, not, not at all. I'm, I'm just a daughter. I mean, this is family. I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere a saint. In fact, I feel I have a lot of, of of guilt when it comes to things that are happening with taking care of my mom. I am in no way a saint. So um, everybody says that when 
people take care of their family, but isn't that what family's supposed to do? Uh, I mean, I understand sometimes you can't. I mean, some, sometimes it's not possible, but um, mm-hmm. if it's possible, why wouldn't you? I mean, even if we had the money for a, a nursing home, which we don't, or if she had the money for a really nice nursing home, we still, we wouldn't do it unless it was medically necessary. So um, I don't feel like a saint at all. In fact, I feel just the opposite sometimes. So so how do you deal with that? Uh, not very well sometimes. Um, it's getting better. Uh, I, 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 I pray a lot because I have to. I lean on my husband, who is amazing. Um, he's been so supportive and just really great in encouraging me to to make sure I take time for myself and uh, and and seek help. And you know, I I need I need to see my a therapist for my for my own sanity, um, things like that. Uh, it's and it's it's difficult and. I guess people don't see that they're the other, I don't want to say victims, but the other people affected by this are not just the caregiver, but the caregiver's family. Because not only does my husband now have me devoting almost all of my attention to my mother and not the house and not the kids and not him, but I had to quit working. So this is now six years I haven't worked. I mean, I do work a little bit part-time. My kids are elite swimmers and I, during swim season in the high school, I would lifeguard <laughs> only because I had to get up at like four 30 in the morning to take them to swim practice. I became a lifeguard because I could be there for those two hours and watch them swim. And, you know, but the money was, is negligible. So I, I, other than my lifeguarding a little bit, and then the money I make from being the haunted housewife, as far as giving talks and um, book sales and things like that. And the Willoughby ghost walk, which is my other job, which is a seasonal job. But these are so, so part-time that they do not really affect anything. And the money is nothing like when I was working. So um, you don't realize that. It's not only that we're now a one-income family, but this is going to affect the bottom line when it's time for me to retire. I'm not paying into Social Security. I'm not paying into a pension, you know, things like that. So, and of course, just having another person in the house more money. And my husband just works. He's a police officer. So he just works and works and works so I can stay home and take care of things. So he's the one who's the saint, not me. Right. And he has a very difficult job, especially because you are there in the Cleveland area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like our other major metropolitan areas that being a police officer is, I'll say it, my first husband was, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't job. And yep. that's tough on, on the family as well. It's a thankless job. People don't appreciate what, what police officers do until they need them, of course. Um, they don't right. they don't get any respect. And with me, lucky me, I have my husband is a police officer. My brother is a police officer. And my oldest son is a police officer. So... Yeah, I just don't sleep. I just worry all the time. Now, my youngest son is going to be a fireman. Yeah. Everyone loves fireman. Got him covered. Yeah, oh everyone loves fireman. So that's good. Yes. But yeah, wow, it, it is. it's a dangerous, thankless job. I mean, every day he goes out, who knows? I mean, most of these uh-huh. incidents that you hear, which you know, from police officers getting hurt or, or killed in the line of duty are on traffic stops, 
domestic yeah. calls, things like that. Not like bank robberies and shootouts, but these mm-hmm. things that you don't think about. And of course, you know, people are targeting police officers. You know, they're, it's, it's very dangerous. We, we live in a nice area of Cleveland and it's, he works in the community that we live in the suburb, but it's still, it's the same. There, there's no difference. I mean, there are single man cars. They don't have partners. Um, it's, it's just as dangerous no matter where you are. If you're a, a regional transit authority police officer, it can be dangerous. It doesn't matter. If you can be a security guard at a hospital or something, it can be dangerous. The dangers are everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, we, we sidetracked a little bit, but I'm glad that we did because um, it's important for people to hear from the spouses of law enforcement mm-hmm. because that's just it. It's like dropping a pebble in the pond and and the effects of the job just go out and out and out. It's not just the officers themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so thank you for, for that. I have to tell our listeners, our viewers, that we actually met on a trip to Ireland. Yes, yes. And yes. it was a wonderful trip. Mm-hmm. And to kind of bring us back full circle, you brought your mom with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a lot of extra pieces to traveling for you. A lot I didn't expect to. So it was, that was a learning curve. Um, my my family's from Ireland. My father was born and raised in Ireland. I still have family over there. I had only been there one other time with my mother and my aunt. And that was um, like eight or nine years ago. So my mom was still able, you know, she was better. So it wasn't, wasn't that difficult. And my aunt came with us. So it was nicer. Um, but I had planned that whole trip. It was great. You know, we flew into Dublin and rented a car. We were stopping here and there and everywhere we went, of course, you know, we're going to Lep Castle. We're going to go to Charville Castle. We're going to go here and there, like all these haunted places, because I love the paranormal, obviously the haunted housewife and, you know, mom and my aunt were like, okay, well, let's go. It's great. So I kind of made my own little tour. And then we went across Ireland to Mayo and visited family. So it was really nice. Now this trip was different. I found out about this trip um, from our mutual friend, Dave Schrader. Love Dave. Uh, I met Dave when I was on a show called Paranormal Challenge. Uh, It was uh, like, it was only one season. It was kind of a I don't want to say a competition show, but basically that's what they were trying to set it up. They would put two teams of three of paranormal investigators in a haunted place and see who would come up with the best evidence, which we were like, you can't guarantee you're going to come up with evidence ever. But the show itself was, was fun. We had a great time experience it, experiencing everything we did. And we met some great people. I met some great, great friends on that. And that's where I met Dave. Now I had been a listener of his podcast, but, and, um, funny the first time i was in ireland with my mom and my aunts ran into dave schrader in ireland oh my gosh no what are the odds of that where we were i knew he had been i knew he was there kind of at the same time because he was doing a tour like like the one we did but with a different group and it was i mean i realized he was there at the same time just from like social media it just was random but we were leaving we were on our way out and we're in line at customs and I hear, Hey lady. And I turn around and there's Dave. So it was really interesting. And funny is um, the places that I had taken my, my mom and my aunt and myself were almost 
the same place as he went, but it was either a day before or a day after. He's like, yeah, you were at Lep Castle. I'm like, yeah, there were like five of us there the whole time. He's like, yeah, we were there with 40. <laughs> so we were kind of on the same path, um, just different times. And I was on my own, but yeah. And so when I found out this trip that we took in October was coming up, I'm like, well, my mom wants to go to Ireland. Maybe I can make a, a, a family trip. So we did the first week where we went to, um, we went to Duwa, which is where my family lives. And we stayed with my cousins and visited my aunt and my family. So we did a whole week with just family. And then we drove back to Dublin and we jumped on the tour. Now the tour, the tour had a few bumps in the road. I realized it was one of the first tours that, um, that this company had done in Ireland. So they were still ironing out some kinks. Um, unfortunately, the kinks were all the ones that affected me with um, things like not having parking in the hotel, um, no elevators in the hotel, uh, not being handicap accessible, having to walk a couple blocks to get on the tour bus, things like that, which um, I think was unexpected by the tour guide. And the, the, the you know, I don't think Maria had realized this was going to happen. So it was difficult. It was much more difficult than I thought. Um, and yeah, and I, I was kind of losing my mind there for a while. But I have to say, every, I want to cry, every person that was on that tour was so loving and gracious and accepting and helpful with my mother. Because I thought, oh, this is going to drag us down. And I mean, I had to clear everybody off the bus when we were at the um, the circle, the, the, where we, I'll beg. yeah, um, because I had mm -hmm. to change my mom's diaper, you know, and and people were like, no problem. Hey, it's okay. I mean, everybody yep. was, everybody was great and loving and accepting and embraced me having my mom there. So that'll be something that I always cherish forever. Even though my mom, she doesn't remember things on the trip, but she remembers the people when I point them out in pictures and stuff. It's really That's sweet. amazing. Yep. Yeah. I and mean. She, we, we even had people helping us at the airport when we were, you know, like I had, I took, I went, I went to Ireland with one old lady and I came back with two. I brought my aunt, my other aunt back with me. So, um, Katie and, and Brenda and, um, and Lori, I think they were, we were all at the airport. Deborah was there at the airport and they all helped like getting us through customs and stuff. It was it was amazing. Even Maria was there and, and, and Tracy, we met them there. They all helped when we were leaving. So it was like family. So my mom remembers those people. She remembers, she remembers Gordon and Julie, because she's like, that was that Asian guy that had the funny accent, you know? Um, Cause he was Scottish. They, she remembers you. Of course yep. she remembers Dave. And when she hears his voice, when we're listening to podcast, she goes, that's our friend, isn't it? So it's really sweet. So, but she doesn't remember. She, she'll yes. say, it didn't rain a day when we were in Ireland. It was sunny every day. And if you remember Cork and Cobb, it was like, oh. I thought the ark was coming. But it right. I did too. Yeah. Exactly. She, she filters out anything negative and only remembers the good things, which is why she remembers the people. So. Right. Well, and, and that speaks to the human connection. It, it's it's. What is the important piece for all of us? Mm -hmm. And we just kind of lose sight of that because of, of our culture and social media and everything. But that's that's the bottom line is, is our human connection. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, so last night I dreamt about you and your mom. 
I'm not a big dreamer, mm -hmm. but the angels brought me a dream last night. And it's not that you were doing anything, but you were in Ireland. I must have been there too. I don't know. Or I was just watching you too. It was a very short dream, but everything was colored green. So I wake up in the morning and the first thing I always do is I look to see what time it is. Should I get up? Shouldn't I get up? <laughs> I can decide. And then I always close my eyes to use my third eye and see what the angels brought me during the night. It came back to the dream and it just blossomed into Ireland behind you. And oh. so I lay there and I thought about it for a minute. I'm going to cry. And I thought, Raphael, who is the Archangel of Travelers and the Archangel of Healing, was with you every step of the way. Somebody had to be with us because there's no way I could have done that without it. I mean, yeah, that really touches my heart to know that. I knew there were angels with me, but I thought they were you guys, <laughs> um, the human <laughs> ones that were that were there helping. And, you know, Eddie, the bus driver, was an yes. angel. I mean, he was so supportive. He 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 gave up his room. He would have he would have a room on the first floor at one of the hotels that didn't have an elevator. And so I wouldn't have to drag it up. He's and it was a nicer, bigger room. And he's like, no, 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 you take it. I mean, things like that were just, you know, always touching my heart. But um, I, I don't know how I could have done. I don't know how I can go through day to day without some sort of divine intervention helping because it just becomes very overwhelming and difficult sometimes. And there are some days where I, I, I have to just scream and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I get through it, obviously, but somehow you just don't know how you're going to go from day to day. And every once in a while, I'll get a sign that assures me that I'm not alone. And one of them, and I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. I was having one of the worst days when it comes to being a caregiver of my mom. I mean, everything was going wrong and it was just awful. And I, I was unable to, to, to get a hold of anybody to speak to for my own sanity. And, and it was, it had been building and building and this one day was just horrible. And I was, I was losing my mind. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I got a message from you that said, the angels put me and my mother in your heart. And you had this desire to reach out. And that's what I needed. And it just made everything better that I'm not alone. Someone's with me and I can do this. I can get through it because the timing of that was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Never had I needed to hear some kind, comforting words from somebody other than my husband and my family who are always like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Somebody out of the blue like that. And that gave me the strength to get through that day. And I think about that a lot when I'm going through days that are difficult. And some days- And that's really what the angels do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they will give me that message. You need to, you need to contact Teresa and you need to let her know that she's not alone. Other people are thinking about her and are there for her. 
Mm. Get that message out. And that's what I try to tell people. When you get those messages, act on them. Mm. Oh my gosh, they're all about light and love. So just do it. Mm -hmm. And yes. And that being said, I, I, the group, we have like a group chat that people are still involved in and we, we chat and go online and, you know, we, we're still involved in people's lives, knowing what's happening. If someone has a grandbaby or gets a job or married, you know, things like that. But um, I am not on social media that much and I never post anything about my mom or anything like that. So it's not like I was all over Facebook going, Oh my God, I'm having such a bad day. My mom, blah, blah, blah. I don't do things like that. So it was not just in the group chat. Hey, Teresa, how you doing? It was a direct message. And it was, I remember going to my husband and I showed him that and I just started bursting out crying. And he was like, see, see, you're not alone. I mean, it was amazing. So I mean, I still think about that every time I think I'm alone and not that no one understands, because I know there are people going through worse than me, but um, it's not that people don't understand, but it's just, do I have the strength to go through it? Because I don't feel like I'm strong enough to do it. I've had friends who were caregivers to their parents that I didn't know who they were. You know, I mean, can you imagine my mom is like my best friend. She knows she doesn't have a good memory, but she knows I'm her daughter. She knows her grandkids. Oh, and she, thinks, she thinks my dad died a couple years ago. He's been dead for 20 years and she doesn't know what year it is. And, you know, she, things like that. But she knows who we are. My girlfriend, she goes, I would go in to um, to try to change my mother and clean her up. And she'd be screaming at me. Who are you? Get out of my room. And my daughter. Right the granddaughter would go in and she would think that was me, you know, and then she'd be crying for her husband who's been dead for 40 years. I'm like, Oh, you know, I can't even imagine. And this is somebody with also with, you know, bigger health problems. So in that sense, I'm really very, very lucky that I'm not dealing with anything like that. So it, it could always be worse. And I just feel I have to be strong enough because the one thing about being a, a caregiver to someone who's elderly and has Alzheimer's or dementia or even just physical disabilities. It's very similar to having a child, very similar to having a toddler. But when you have a toddler, you know, it's going to get better. They're going to, they're going to walk more. They're, they're going to be potty trained. They're, they're going to be able to speak and they'll remember they'll go to school when it's your parent. It's going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And that's the devastating thought. That if I'm not strong enough to do it now, what am I going to do in 10 years? My mom's 85. She could live to 100 easily. You know, she could. She's not, doesn't have severe life threatening health conditions. So mm -hmm. that's where it becomes I need to be stronger because I've got to prepare for what's coming. And you are very strong, Teresa. And I think that's a great place to end. I can't thank you enough for coming on and telling your story. I know how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. Please give your mom a huge hug for me. I she's will. just such a delight. And, and she, yeah, and she's, she's happy and I, I'll get mad and she'll just be like, she just, she just, nothing bothers her, which is great. Cause I think I'm going to be one of those ornery old ladies and my kids are going to be like, Ugh, I don't want that. But yeah, but I, 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 again, I can't stress enough the importance of knowing that you're not alone and knowing that your angels are there with you to help you 
and that God is watching over me and won't give me anything I can't handle. And when I need help, he sends it like he did with you, like he did in Ireland, like he does every day. And it just makes me appreciate that so much more. The the angels that we see every day, like you, like our friends, like family, and the ones we don't, just knowing that they're there. I have to keep that in my heart and know that I'm not alone. Thanks again for joining Chaplain Jody on Survivor Angels. For more information, go to chaplainjody.me. That's chaplainjody.me. And on Facebook at Survivor Angels-Chaplain Jody. Sound effects for the show created by Andre Opate and provided by Pixbay. This is Dave Schrader. Until next time, sending you off to activate your angels.